if you're riding mixed surfaces, at some point the bike choice you've made is going to be a terrible choice. <laughs> in fact, we we had an event, we have an event uh, that where we one of our sort of taglines is bring whatever bike you want because at some point it's going to be a terrible choice. <laughs> Hopefully at some point, point it'll also be a good choice and somewhere in between, but probably like just accept the fact that you're going to be carrying it at some point or you're going to find yourself on a piece of trail or road for which your bike is totally unsuited. This is Yukon North of Ordinary, the podcast. We share a more in-depth take on the most popular stories from our print magazine, showcasing the territory's extraordinary people, culture, and outdoors. I'm your host, Karen McCall. Gravel biking isn't a new activity, but the name is relatively so. I first heard the term gravel biking a few years ago, and my first reaction was, uh, why would someone intentionally ride a bike on gravel other than to get somewhere cool? I later learned that is kind of the point. I also learned that there are specific gravel bikes, and that of course you can spend as much money as you want on them. For years, I've resisted the notion of buying a special bike for riding around on back roads, but admittedly, I'm starting to warm to the idea. In the words of bikeradar.com, I'm gravel curious. To tell me more about gravel biking and the phenomenon surrounding it, I'm speaking to Ian Parker. He's a road biker and a mountain biker and everything in between. He's a good person then to be vice president of the Velo North Cycling Club, which promotes gravel biking in the Yukon. The first thing I wanted to ask Ian is how he reacted the first time he heard about gravel biking. My first reaction was, uh, oh, this thing we've been doing for a few years apparently has a name, and they've been doing it in other places too. Um, but the other reaction I had was that I'm not sure that gravel biking is the right word for what we're doing up here. I would use more something like mixed surface riding, because even though we've got some great gravel, to get to the gravel, you've got to ride some asphalt. And then we started saying, well... Maybe instead of riding the asphalt, we can just ride some dirt or some grass or some wood chips or whatever the whitehorse area has to offer us. <laughs> so I think my first reaction was, uh, oh, cool, there's this sort of network of folks already out there and there's events already out there that are doing this. So tell me about what, what that activity was that you were already doing, this mixed surface riding. What does it entail? Right. So it came from road biking, I think, but then... Uh, it, it adopted some of the aspects of mountain biking. And up here, uh, at a certain point, there, there was kind of a road scene that was pretty healthy. There was events and stuff. But then at a certain point, it started to kind of languish. It was mostly just this small group of white middle-aged dudes getting together to race each other and toil up and down the Alaska highway. And I guess not surprisingly, eventually that kind of got sort of boring. I think and people were looking for something else. And most of us were also mountain bikers and looking to adopt some of the sort of spirit of mountain biking. And and that's where this uh, sort of intersection of the two came up with the mixed surface riding. And then then it sort of, once we cracked open that, that thought, it was suddenly we were exploring all kinds of new surfaces and looking at maps and stuff like that and trying to link up different sections of gravel or dirt or whatever it was. I'm not a road biker myself, but from what I've heard, the Yukon isn't the best place for pure road riding. Is that right? Yeah, that would be that would be pretty accurate. I think uh, we don't have a lot of options in the for riding, and what we're really lacking on the road is sort of loops. Unless you're ready to do sort of a 150, 160k loop, which a lot of folks aren't into for whatever reason, for various reasons, various good reasons. 
So, uh, yeah, at a certain point, I think those who are, again, toiling up and down the Alaska Highway sort of start to realize there could be more to this biking thing than what I'm currently doing. And for whatever reason, over the last few years, my sense, and that of others too, I think, is that people started to feel more vulnerable on the road. It seems like, I'm not sure if it has its roots in sort of the political polarization that's been going on over the last few years, but... Biking has been associated with a certain side of the political spectrum. Driving big diesel trucks, for whatever reason, has been on the other side of the spectrum. Up here, of course, you're just as likely to find someone wearing spandex on a $10,000 road bike is also driving a diesel truck with the antlers sticking out of the back. So it's not as relevant up here, but uh, it, it, you can easily feel quite exposed out on the highway. So... I think at a certain point, I guess I should only speak for myself, at a certain point I started going, I'm not sure if that's how I want to spend my time because 95% of drivers are great, give you lots of room, super courteous. Uh, It's the 1% or 2% that you kind of worry about, but that's all it takes to make it so that you can't work or you can't take care of your kids or you're laid up and you can't ride your bike at all for for weeks. So I think that that was a factor in folks looking for something new, something different. So for folks who aren't so familiar with the Yukon, um, what about the territory, especially around Whitehorse, makes it a good area for mixed surface or gravel riding? Or, or is, it a, is it a good destination? I'm not, sure if, I'm not sure I would describe Whitehorse as a good destination yet for gravel biking, um, partly because we're, we're lacking some of those bigger loops. We do have one sort of main loop that we use for a couple of events, but more of our great gravel or fun segments to ride are broken up by stretches of pavement to get between them. That's why I would describe it as more sort of mixed surface riding. And we drew our inspiration for that kind of riding from um, an event we a few of us went to years ago called the Belgian Waffle Ride in uh, Southern California. And we had heard about it somehow and went, oh, guys, look at this. And, and this, they're, they're doing something that, that uh, sort of captured our imagination. It was that intersection of uh, road biking and these massive dif- distances and lots of climbing, but also we're combining dirt and gravel and some sort of cyclocross elements and stuff like that. And they sort of affiliated themselves with uh, breweries and beer companies and stuff like that. So it had this kind of different spirit. So a few of us went down to that event, it must have been about 2017, and we'd been just starting to ride off-road a bit up here on our road bikes, and we're sort of exposed to this community. Of course, at that time, there wasn't really anything known as a gravel bike, and then I actually went back to the event by myself the following year just to experience it more, and then we brought that, we've, since then we've been trying to bring some of that sort of spirit back to, to, to Whitehorse and some of these events we've been organizing. So you've mentioned bikes a few times. So yeah, what are these like gravel specific bikes all about? So I think we have to acknowledge that at some point the bike industry said, oh, <laughs> well, there's an opportunity here to sell people bikes that they didn't know they needed. <laughs> um, so the, the gravel bikes that have evolved are a bit different. I mean, for the uninitiated picture, a road bike, but it's got f- clearance for fatter tires. It's got sort of a longer wheelbase, so it's more stable. It would almost invariably has disc brakes instead of those rim brakes, which is which are more and more common in uh, in bikes in general these days. And most gravel bikes also have some sort of feature built into them to give more compliance. Like you can't stick necessarily a heavy shock and a suspension fork like you can in a mountain bike. So the various gravel biking 
companies have come up with creative ways to add some compliance or some shock absorption to the bike. So often where the seat post meets the down tube, there's like a coil or there, there's some sort of um, way to disconnect those two from each other so they can move independently. And it's that's been one of the interesting aspects, actually, is to see through that evolution of the bike industry catching up with what people are actually trying to do with their bikes and the creative ways are coming up to match bikes to what people are trying to do. Before these fancy bikes came around, were you riding your road bike on gravel roads and dirt roads and things like that? Totally, yeah. I mean, when we started getting off the highway, there wasn't such a thing as a as a gravel bike specifically. So we were just using our road bikes on skinny tires. We would fit in the, the fattest tire we could fit in, which was not very fat, and would take them off-road. And we have photos of us and others riding... Uh, riding effectively our road bikes, but on trails that have like, watch out for sled dog teams and stuff signs. Like we were, we were really pushing the limits of what you could do with a road bike. And sometimes you would push too far and realize, oh, okay, that this is not, that we've, we've, uh, we've, we've ventured into somewhere where really this bike is not meant to be going. Uh, but that was sort of part of the fun, you know, you're learning the hard way and uh, it, that brings in that adventure aspect. And there's this app called Strava where people can post their rides and you can see what other people are up to and you can post photos and stuff. And that was kind of a fun part of it too is you'd post a ride and people would be trying to figure out or you'd see someone else post a ride and you'd be trying to figure out where the heck were they? You can take a road bike in there? (laughs) And sometimes the answer was, well, yeah, it turns out you can. Or just as often the answer would be, well, no, you really shouldn't take your road bike where we just tried to take our road bikes. So it's got that kind of social adventurous aspect to it also. So I imagine you uh, carried your bike a few times. Absolutely. And partly just because on those old rim brakes, they would get so gummed up with mud and pine needles or whatever that you just you have to stop and clear them out or or if it got really bad you just put your bike on your shoulder and and walk for a bit as long as you needed to until you figured out where you were (laughs) and clean out your bike and get it rolling again i guess for people without road bikes is like a hardtail mountain bike a good kind of compromise for getting started for sure and i think that's one of the main things people who are thinking about getting into this should should realize is that the bike you have is probably more capable then you realize, and you don't necessarily need to be limited by exactly what your bike was designed for. Hardtail mountain bike's fine, great. I think the difference is, and what makes the gravel biking unique, is that you often ride on surfaces that really wouldn't be much fun on a mountain bike because it's a bit slow or it's just sort of not technical enough, but it's also probably, in some cases, too technical for a road bike, and this is where the idea of a gravel bike comes in, a bike that's actually suited to those conditions. What's kind of cool though, is that um, no matter how specific the, the bikes get, if you're riding mixed surfaces, at some point the bike choice you've made is going to be a terrible choice. <laughs> and in fact, we, used, we had an event, we have an event uh, that where we, one of our sort of taglines is, bring whatever bike you want, because at some point it's gonna be a terrible choice. <laughs> Hopefully at some point, point it'll also be a good choice and somewhere in between, but probably like just accept the fact that you're gonna be carrying it at some point or you're gonna find yourself on a piece of trail or road for which your bike is totally unsuited. And then we've actually stopped using that line because as more and more folks have bought gravel bikes and more gravel bikes are coming on the market, more often than not, not always, but more often than not, folks are showing up with gravel bikes. But I want to emphasize, you don't need a gravel bike to get into this and start pushing your bike into places that you want to explore. I'm guessing you took the plunge and got a gravel bike at some point? I did eventually. I resisted for a few years myself just because I really didn't see 
that you needed to make that investment. And probably, admittedly, there was a bit of there was a bit of pride in, in taking our road bikes into places that they're really not suited to go. <laughs> in fact, this event that I mentioned, Belgian Waffle Ride, we were absorbing anything, any information we could find out about it. And one of these podcasts, they were talking about what is the right bike for this event. And again, this was before gravel bikes were a thing, really. And one of the quotes on the podcast was, uh, we don't know which bike is perfect for it, but we know almost certainly that an aero road bike with 25 millimeter tires is not the right bike for this event. <laughs> and of course, uh, those of up here, us up here who were traveling down to it kind of said, well, hold my beer because we're going to go down there and do this event. And Joel in particular had a bike that was really ill-suited to those conditions, but he did just fine. And that kind of affirmed our thought that, you know, we don't, we can we can push these bikes to do things that they're not necessarily suited for and still have a lot of fun in doing it. What was the the nature of that race? Like how long was it and what kind of terrain? So the Belgian Waffle Ride is uh, North County, San Diego, and it's about 220 kilometers with something like 4,000 meters or 12,000 feet of climbing, so tons of climbing. And just across this spectacular landscape in Southern California. But it really was, I wouldn't even describe it as a gravel race. In fact, today, the event calls themselves an unroad event instead of a gravel race. Just to recognize that you're going to spend some time on pavement, you're going to spend some time on gravel, you're going to spend some time on dirt. Now they've actually added almost like a cyclocross course at the end of it. So it's uh, it's more, I think it's better described as a, a mixed surface event. But it started and finished at a brewery and the people were really encouraged to like not take this thing too seriously because you're riding your road bike in ridiculous places that you should not go on a road bike so let's not take this thing too seriously and we really liked that kind of spirit of that and then we tried to bring that back to Whitehorse. It sounds like gravel biking is almost sort of like counterculture like if road biking is all like um, spandex and very serious that gravel biking is kind of more about like just having a good time. It's true. And because road biking has also suffered from a bit of an image problem, I think. It is this image of mostly white, upper middle class dudes in lycra, mammals, M-A-M-I-L, middle-aged men in lycra, which isn't for everybody. And unfortunately, it's developed a reputation of not being sort of as inclusive or as festive or as laid back. So gravel biking has decidedly been not that it's taken a different direction to the point where now actually gravel biking has become so huge and now there's these international events and there's big sponsors and there's prize money that it's having a bit of a an identity crisis i would say not so much up here but in some of the bigger events because they're starting to with with sponsors and prize money and stuff now they're starting to separate the men's and, f- and women's fields into different starts instead of having a mass start whereas others are saying that is against the spirit of gravel bike and it's exactly what we're trying to avoid we want to be more inclusive we want to have mass starts everyone together we want to keep this festive atmosphere so it's interesting to see sort of where that goes over the next few years because it's still a relatively new discipline time for a short break we'll be right back Do you have a Yukon North of Ordinary hoodie yet? What about a t-shirt, a toque, mug? Check out the full product line at the retail store in Whitehorse, located on the corner of 2nd Avenue and Steel Street across from City Hall. Limited products can also be ordered from northofordinary.com. And while you're there, don't forget to pick up a magazine subscription. And now, back to the episode. You mentioned like when you heard of gravel biking, what you thought about it, but do you kind of know, I guess, like 
I don't know, like the, the greater origins of it? Was it just like a whole bunch of people were doing this and somehow the name kind of caught on? It's interesting because I think the original bike races were actually gravel bike, gravel races. Uh, the Tour de France roads high up into the Alps and the Pyrenees. These were not paved roads 100 years ago. They were gravel roads. Or there's a famous event in, on the white gravel roads of Tuscany area in Italy, for example, called the Strada Bianchi. And that's a, it's a relatively new event, a race, a pro tour race, but those gravel roads, people have been riding for probably centuries. So in some ways, it's a, it's a throwback, I think, to the origins of cycling. It's just that now, today, we've got bikes that are much better suited to riding those, those roads. It's also, for us up here, it's got some roots in the, the classic one-day races in the spring in places like northern France and Belgium, which have always been this kind of gritty underbelly of road cycling because they're on cold surfaces through, one of them's called the Hell of the North in Paris-Roubaix because it travels this route between some of the World War I battlefields that were just apocalyptic around, around that time. And they're often in just, just terrible weather, pouring rain, snow, and it's got a reputation for only attracting sort of the hardest of hard men and women to not only survive those events, but to do well in them. And there's just been some epic kind of races and photos of those races over the years that have just embedded themselves in our sort of imagination and we've long wanted to bring that kind of spirit to events here in Whitehorse. When I when I think of gravel or road biking in in places like Europe, uh, I picture beautiful scenery but there's also a lot of like villages and um, probably like castles and neat things whereas riding in the Yukon it's much more about back roads kind of wilderness, is that right? Definitely more about back roads and wilderness, but we have very strategically aligned ourselves with the local brewery, Winter Long Brewing Co., which happens to be perfectly located to access a bunch of gravel. So two of our four sort of big events start and finish at Winter Long Brewery, and we strategically have some coffee stops along these routes. But you're right that we don't have sort of access to little villages and coffee, and, and coffee shops, um, bakeries along the way, but there's definitely a few places that you will look forward to on a long ride. Like, I can't wait to get to Tikini Gas Station because they've got really good um, little paninis and stuff like that, you know, <laughs> little treats that you give yourself a long way to grab a coffee and grab a Coke and to have a pause. So there's definitely still that aspect of it, but, yeah, it's definitely not that picturesque villages and villas in Spain and France and Italy. <laughs> Right, but you can still pick, uh, yeah, destinations for snacks and beverages, which is kind of fun. Totally, yeah. And some of those, some of the uh, the owners of those places come to recognize us because at a gas station, for example, where folks are filling up, you, you know, you sort of stand out when you clomp in in your road shoes and your spandex or whatever you're wearing, you sort of stand out a bit. But in me, in my mind, in those situations, it's kind of like, it's kind of quintessential Yukon or Yukon at its best truckers with antlers sticking out of their back of their truck and big diesel engines um, and it's off sales and <laughs> but it's also like chocolate bars and cokes and there's and the spandex clad folks on their bicycles are mixing totally easily and naturally with the truckers who are asking us questions and we're asking them questions about their rigs and what they're going and it's for me that's part of the magic of this place and of biking in general up here. For the uninitiated, um, yeah, what is sort of like the attire for big surface riding? It's similar to road riding, but again, there's no kind of, there's no dress code for it the way there is in road riding. If you showed up for a road ride and you were wearing kind of mountain bike shorts over top of your 
bike shorts, you might stand out a bit. I like to think you wouldn't get judged up here, but they would definitely raise some eyebrows. Whereas uh, in this mixed surface riding, we have folks showing up in shorts, in overalls, sometimes in costumes. <laughs> uh, and there's, I like to think, there's much less kind of judgment around how you're dressed, what your bike looks like, that kind of thing. And that's definitely uh, a spirit or an ethos we've tried to sort of nourish because we really want the gravel scene to be inclusive and have that festive atmosphere and to really be welcoming of beginners, folks who are new to it, to not be intimidated, come out and try an event. We've really de-emphasized the first, second, third aspect, and we've more emphasized, like, come out and try something new, but at the same time, we don't pretend it's easy. Like, some of the courses we have are challenging because we want people to come out and try something new and also have that feeling of, man, I wasn't sure if I was going to get through that. I almost wasn't even going to sign up. But am I ever glad I did? Because now I'm having a beer at Winterlong. I've made some new friends. And I've got that satisfaction of kind of got out, got, I got out of my comfort zone. So the events and spirit we're trying to promote is that it's, it's inclusive and welcoming and festive and laid back, but also where people can find a challenge and maybe get outside of their comfort zone and learn something about themselves. How has the sport grown in, in the Yukon in recent years? It's, it's being driven partly by our amazing bike shops in town who are, who, you know, when you go into a bike shop and you're not used to seeing a gravel bike, you, you might go, oh, what, that's, that's something different. What's that kind of about? And that might lead you asking some questions. Maybe you connect with the local club or, or clubs because there's more than one, that's for sure. And I'd say we're still at kind of an exciting phase where the culture around it is still in our hands. It's not already sort of encoded in, in any way. And at Velo North, our cycling club, we're very much trying to nurture a certain type of culture around it, which is kind of exciting. But it was cool to learn that, in fact, there's these other events that have been happening around the world for a few years that have adopted sort of a similar attitude towards it. But I can say that that wasn't our intent. We didn't go, oh, here's the template. Let's bring it over. It was just kind of, here's road biking, here's mountain biking which are both awesome in their own ways, but here's where this mixed, surfing, mixed surface thing could fit. So let's get people, let's introduce people to it who aren't already aware of it. Let's have some events and let's try and be very deliberate about the culture that we, that we build around it. We really want to see more women coming out, uh, more folks of different backgrounds and ethnicities to sort of break that mold a little bit that, we, that we've been handed through road biking in some ways. So far, it seems to be working. We've, uh, one of our events, we had nearly half were uh, folks who identify as women, which was kind of rare for biking events up here. The exception being mountain biking, I should point out, because from what I understand, the local mountain biking club has the highest per capita, um, those who identify female, than any club in, in Canada, which is so cool. But for some reason, those folks, many of them love doing the group rides, are less keen to come out for events. So we're trying to encourage people to come out, try an event. Again, you'll learn something about, about yourself. You'll meet some, meet some new people. You'll have a beer. We're going to keep this stuff in perspective. <laughs> and uh, it seems to be starting to pay off because the attendance at the events and group rides is just being going up over the last few years. Yeah, so you've sort of touched on the events a bit. What's uh, sort of your cornerstone event? Do you want to tell us about that? So the one we like to self-describe as sort of the, the jewel of the gravel or mixed surface riding scene, we call the gravel growler, and that's in late fall. But we try to bookend it with another event on the same course, but in the opposite direction, 
called the Gritty Cog, C-O-G, or Clash of Generations. Because with all our events, we try to take a sort of unique take on it to de-emphasize the competitive first, second, third thing and emphasize some other aspects. So both these events, for example, finish uh, or at a certain point, you go over this big climb on gravel and you end up at this place called Fish Lake. And to, to prove that people have been there, we're like, well, we kind of want to take people's word for it because <laughs> we don't need to place a volunteer out there to sit through all the Fish Lake because people are going to do it anyways. But we give people little uh, jars, it almost looks like a <laughs> almost like a urine sample jar or something like that. But people are to dip it into the lake and get a sample of fish lake water and bring it back to the finish at Winter Long Brewing, and they pour it into a beer growler, and we say you're not an official finisher until you've poured your... your, your it's just part of that kind of the tradition of it. So, so we, we kind of bookend this season with the Gritty Cog, Clash of Generations, in late May. That's our first event. And then the last event is the Gravel Growler. Um, it's kind of weather dependent. It's hit or miss what the weather's going to be like in Whitehorse at end of end of September. We've had amazing sun. We've also had just apocalyptic, apocalyptic cold and rain. But folks still come out. And we still make a bit of a party out of it and sort of sign off to say, you know, winter's coming. Stay active. See you on the in the virtual bike racing world or see you at Mount Max skiing. I feel like this sort of uh, the social aspect and like the pub aspect will appeal to a lot of people. I've noticed that your events often start or end winter long, but I hadn't really made the connection of how intentional that is. But that does sound fun. Yeah. And it's something that we're kind of conscious of. I think it it feeds that sort of spirit we're trying to nurture. But which is not to say that drinking needs to be a part of the culture or you need to be a drinker to come out. You are welcome to come out and have whatever kind of refreshment you're into. <laughs> so we're careful to sort of support Winterlong and the, and the great work that they've been doing, Winterlong Brewing Company, but at the same time making sure people realize that that's a, it's a sidebar to the event itself, and it's not a key part of the events. I just feel like um, we need to be, a, we are a bit cautious around aligning ourselves too closely with kind of the culture of drinking versus just this culture of, Let's have a beer. Let's not take things too seriously here. Let's have a laugh and a joke. And when we recognize people after events, we rarely recognize, again, the first, second, third. We're more likely to recognize someone who stopped and helped someone fix a flat or someone who had three flats themselves and still managed to get to the event or someone who's just completed their first event ever on a bike, signed up, came out, got a, got a race bib or got a number plate and completed the event. Those are the kind of people we want to we wanna celebrate at these things. Well, I look forward to uh, coming out to an event on my hardtail mountain bike. <laughs> really? That would be great. That would come out. <laughs> I would like to. Sounds fun. We definitely... Uh, one of our earliest, we had this award called the, it used to be called the Belgian Hard Man and Belgian Hard Woman. Now we call it the Real Mackenzie, named after a guy who came out, had no idea what he was getting himself into, had a bike that was seriously unsuitable for what he was about to take on. Uh, it took him like six hours. Everyone else had gone home. We're still sitting at Winter Long waiting for him. We were trying to track him down. Found his partner on Facebook, like, hey, have you heard from this gentleman? <laughs> I'm sure he's fine, but just did he show up at home? Eventually he rolled in. And we, we named an award after him. But one of the uh, people who won this award one year was someone who was on like a, a vintage, rigid mountain bike who came out and did it. So the bar is being set, Karen. So whatever <laughs> bike you have, whatever bike you have, yeah, come out and give it a try. You can always start with a short course too because we usually offer folks options. Even to the point where, listen, if you start the long course and you decide halfway through this is not for me or something goes sideways, 
cut across halfway through and you can do the short course, no problem, no judgment, just as long as you make it back safely and you have fun. <laughs> Yay, I'm all for the fun. <laughs> Ian, for people who want to uh, learn more about these events, where should they head? So velonorthyukon.ca is a place where you can find out about it. And there are other clubs in town also, um, Yukon Echelon, letter U-K-O-N-E-C-H-E-L-O-N, has lots of events also, and they tend to do um, all kinds of events, fat bikes, mountain bikes, road bikes, and tend to cater more to the younger crowd, which is great, getting lots of kids on bikes. But for the gravel scene particularly, or the mixed surface scene particularly, I would definitely encourage people to check out velanorth.ca. Fantastic. Thank you so much for uh, talking bikes with me today. Biking, I guess. Mm, Thanks for asking. I could talk about this stuff all day. That's it for this episode of Yukon North of Ordinary, the podcast. Please share this episode and leave us a review. It really helps. Subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also subscribe to our print magazine by going to northofordinary.com. While you're there, check out Yukon North of Ordinary merchandise. And for a full product line, visit the Bricks and Mortar store in Whitehorse, located on the corner of 2nd Avenue and Steel Street, across from City Hall. There's a great selection of clothing, hats, stickers, glassware, and more. Do you have something to say about this episode? We'd love to hear from you. Find us on social media at North of Ordinary. You can also contact me, Karen McCall, with feedback or story ideas. Editor at northofordinary.com is my email. Thanks to the whole team at North of Ordinary Media. Our podcast artwork is by art director Manu Kegenhoff. Our music is by Head Candy and tribeofnoise.com. Thanks for listening. We have another episode coming out soon. I hope you listen in. Thank you.